Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Great to be with everyone tonight at Encounter Church. Hey, uh, if we ever met before, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's great to be here on a nice, warm Sunday afternoon. And uh, if you're new here, I just want to echo Jen's welcome before. Huge welcome to you. Come say hello afterwards. Grab a coffee. Love to get to know you guys. And uh, if you're looking for a church home in 2023, have a chat about what it might look like to become part of a church home here. Hey, quick comment about some people who are definitely not looking for a church home, or I would be slightly concerned if they were, but I do want to shout out and uh, give some love to, and that's my friends, uh, Pastor Jethro and Rosemary Buxton from Coro, and Pastor Barry and Kerry Littleford, Kerry uh, Kelly, sorry Kelly, from Waypoint in Parrotfield, and uh, we just honour them. Barry in particular is a, is a mentor of mine, and, and Tim's dad as well, which is a more important role. And uh, yeah, we just really honour you, all of you, and thank you for being co-workers in the kingdom, and uh, just grateful that you're coming to worship with us today. All right, ready for the word today? We hungry? Oh, I hope so. I hope you're hungry. We got a meal. Let's go. First Kings chapter 18. Verses 36 to 39 is the teaching text for today. It'll probably be up behind you, but you know what? It's a way better habit to bring your own Bible and notepad to the, to the church service, right? That's how you're going to grow because you're going to start taking your own notes, reading scripture for yourself. Anyway, that's a good thing to do. Verse 36, at the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Uh, Friends, one of my contentions as a preacher is this. Sometimes I feel like it gets me into trouble because it raises my hopes up. And sometimes I feel like it's, you know, an interesting idea that maybe I shouldn't have, but I cannot help it. This is who I am. This is my contention. This is this. Every single time somebody comes up to preach the Word of God, your life can change. Every time, because the word of God pierces through us, through bone and marrow, through our very spirit. God is longing to talk to you through his word. And the the blessing of being able to unpack that as a preacher is we are trying to communicate a timeless word that will never go out of date, never go out of fashion, never go out of style in a way that is contemporary and helpful and applies to you sitting here in the seat. And I want to tell you this. Every Sunday you turn up, in fact, every day of your life, it's just that when we gather, there's an intention to it. Every time you turn up, God is longing to speak to you. And that means that your life can be changed. Because when God turns up, He turns up in power. That's the only way He knows. Now, in His grace, He doesn't give that all on us all at one time, or we would be evaporated. But He does give it to us. 
and he does turn up in power. I want to encourage you, listen for that tonight, if you're hearing God speaking. And tonight we are talking about prayer. And every great move of God involves prayer, everything. You want revival in the world? You need to pray. You want breakthrough in your life? You need to pray. Do you want to change the world? You need to pray. That is what ultimately stops us believing that it is our agency or power that's the thing that does change the world. When we pray, we are reminded that God is the source of our dependency. If we really had our lives under control, we wouldn't be praying in the first place. We wouldn't need to. We wouldn't want to. So to get where you want to get in your spiritual life, and if you're here, I'm assuming one of three things. One, this is an accident. You thought you are in an Alcoholic Anonymous meeting. Welcome. We'll talk afterwards. The second is that you've been dragged here by a friend. Welcome. We'll talk afterwards. But third is this. You are probably here because you want to grow in your relationship with God. Maybe it's just a little. Maybe you feel a long way back. Maybe you feel pretty keen. You've been doing this for a long time. But you are hungry to grow in your spirit. That's why you're here. So let me say this. If you want that, if you want to grow in your spiritual life in 2023, if like we like to say, the next year, this year can be the best year through your intimacy with Jesus, here's how you will get there. On your knees. You will get there with hands clasped in prayer, fervently on your knees before God. That is how you'll grow in your, in your spiritual life. That is how you'll move forward in intimacy with prayer. So today we're looking at our cultural value contending in prayer. We, uh, our missional goal, rather. We've got about 10 missional goals, and we're exploring four of them over four weeks. And we're just picking a few of them at random that are really appealing to our spirit at this moment in time. And this is the one that I felt God put on my heart. And there were four, you know, there's four preachers in this series, and I wanted to give them the chance to pick first. So I was just sort of sitting back going, hope they don't pick prayer, hope they don't pick prayer. So it's great. Very happy with it. Luckily, God's uh, saying many things to many people. This is what we mean when we say contending in prayer. You ready? It's a church that relies on the power of God and fights on its knees. We want to be a church that relies on the power of God, not of my preaching, not of Pastor Jenny's communication, but relies on the power of God and fights on its knees. That's who we want to be because that's where the battle is. See, we, and we call it contending in prayer, not existing in prayer, because when we contend, we actually strive. We fight. We move forward. We are saying there is something to push into. We are working to overcome something. Now, it might just be our attitude. It might be a situation we are in, but what we are really doing, according to Paul in Ephesians 6, is this. We contend not against flesh or blood, not against the rulers, but sorry, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We don't contend in prayer against our situation. We do not contend in prayer against other people. We contend in prayer against the devil, against the forces of darkness, against every evil spirit in this world that is longing to keep you trapped and hold you away from the peace, hope and joy of Jesus Christ. That is where the battle is. When we contend in prayer, we contend in the spirit. We step into a spiritual battleground. We take our eyes away from our immediate problems And we lift them up to the God who is able to intercede into our situation right now, as well as having won the victory over sin and death forever. That's good news. When we pray, we do not simply flutter up prayers of meek, half-hearted mediocrity. We put on the full armour of God with a sword of the Spirit, 
And we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then we begin what we call spiritual warfare. If you're not familiar with the term, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's like, okay, there's a devil out there and he wants what's worse for me. Let's go. Let's get it on in the Spirit because I can't use any of my physical tools. I mean, frankly, I can't use them in a fight anyway. Look at me. But I can't use any physical tools in a fight against a spiritual being. I'm contending in my spirit through the Spirit of God. And we pray when we do that in the name of Jesus that the schemes of the enemy and the powers of darkness are overthrown in our life the same way that they were overthrown ultimately on the cross of Christ. You're with me so far? Good. It's warm to this afternoon. You've got to say with me because this is good stuff. It's God's power, but it's our posture. It's God's resources, but it's our responsibility to step into that and do something about it. He's the prayer part. We're the contending part, all right? That's what it means to contend in prayer. It is not a duty so much as a battle. And every prayer that's prayed in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to God the Father is an act of warfare to the kingdom of darkness. So if that is what it means to contend in prayer, we're like, yeah, that sounds great. Why don't our prayer lives feel like that? Like why, why doesn't it, I don't know about you, my prayer life doesn't always feel like I'm, I'm strapping on armour and committing warfare against the kingdom of darkness. Sometimes it feels like I'm strapping on the gift of staying awake for five minutes and using the gift of barely talking out loud to a God that I'm struggling to believe in in that moment. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know what I mean? That's, that's where our prayer lives sit in real life more often. So why doesn't it feel like that? Because most people's prayer lives, friends, are this. They're uncertain and they're tepid and they're duty-based. Not yours, not in this room, but like somebody might hear the recording later. Uncertain, tepid and duty-based. They are the prayers of people who know what they should be doing, but don't necessarily know what it's doing, right? They know what they should be doing, but not what it's actually doing. We either don't know where our prayers are going or we don't know whether they're effective. And this is a tragedy because of all the Christian life, there's nothing more accessible than prayer. I mean, I know when I talk about spiritual warfare, you're sitting there going, I'm not talking about this to my coworkers on Monday morning. Like, I get that. But out of all the Christian life, prayer is the most effective because it is the thing that people reach to most instinctively. When somebody who does not yet believe in Jesus, and maybe you're in the room, is in trouble. Do you know what they don't do? They don't go, I wonder where I can find a Bible. What they do is they go, help! That's prayer. <laughs> when, that's why we say things like there's no atheists in foxholes or maybe a more accurate version for our time is there's no, ac- there's no atheists when the brake line's cut, right? Somebody's praying something to someone somewhere. There's a desperation, a cry for help. If I can't control it, could somebody else please control it for me? Could somebody else please help it? So the reason this is such a tragedy is because this is a universal condition. And if you're the kind of person, and if you're in this church, you probably are, who wants to see your friends and family discover the gift of God through Jesus Christ, that salvation, that power in the Spirit, that restoration, that life to the fullness, then when we don't tap into our prayer lives and contend in prayer, we are missing out on a gift that the world desperately needs. You catching me? Mm, Okay. So how do we transform our lives? from confused in prayer to contending in prayer. All right, well, let's get into today's teaching text, which is about the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah was a historical badass. 
He was one of the two great prophets of the Old Testament. Moses and Elijah are kind of like the heroes of the Jewish faith, pre-Jesus, and if you're still in the Jewish faith, also post-Jesus. But for, for Jewish people in the Old Testament and in Jesus' time, Moses and Elijah were a big deal. So much of a big deal, in fact, that when Jesus had his big transfiguration moment on the mountain where he became robed in white and it was clear that God's hand of blessing was on him for the resurrection to come, it was Moses and Elijah who met him there as if they were like his little brothers, basically, having a little powwow together. So Elijah was a prophet in Israel, though, at a tough time, and particularly the time we're talking about. It was a time not only when worship of God was not being honoured, but was actively being repressed. The king of Israel, a guy called Ahab and his wife Jezebel, just great folk, really good people. Uh, They were murdering prophets and murdering priests as fast as they could and instituting the cult of worship for these false gods called Baal and Asherah. And Elijah at this time had been absent from Israel for a while. And basically there was a bounty on his head. And then God tells him to go back. So he swaggers back into town because this is his personality. This is his mindset. And he says, I want to meet with the king now, because that's just who he is. That's a lot of power. Never tried that before. Might be worthwhile. So he does that. He says, look, this is my mindset. God's got my back. I'm his holy prophet. What could go wrong? It's all right. No small thing, though, given the king blames him for a years-long drought in Israel and has been murdering these other prophets. But because he's Elijah, he gets the meeting with the king and he commands the king, Bring all your little prophets of Baal and Asherah. We're going to have a divine showdown. So they go to a mount called Mount Carmel together. 900 prophets of Baal and Asherah and one Elijah representing the living God. And and Elijah turns these 900 and turns the people of Israel because he's also commanded the king to bring all Israel around to the king, who's basically a pushover and is torn between Elijah and Jezebel most of his life. Coward. Anyway, he... What's he going to do? Get mad at me? Ahab, one of the most evil kings. I love that. I love the culture we're in now. It's like, oh, are you allowed to say that about an evil king from ancient Jewish history? Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Elijah turns up against these other 900 prophets and he says, look, here's the deal. Why don't we build two altars? One to Baal and Asherah, one to the God Most High, the true God of Israel, Yahweh. And I'm going to cry out to him and you cry out to your God and we'll see how it goes. And even better, I'll let you go first. And, like, and it's 900 to one. And like, yeah, you just can't start the fire. Whoever, get, you've got to get fire from heaven. That's the only way it counts. Okay, like what, what if like one of the other people starts to fight? No, then obviously it's still cheating. You can't do that, all right? So they're in a drought in the land. So you would think, well, if anything's gonna mysteriously spark with fire, now is the time. So these 900 prophets start kicking up this huge stink and stir. They're wailing, they're cutting themselves. They are absolutely psycho and nothing is happening except the only thing that's happening is Elijah just starts trash talking like peak Ian Healy behind the stumps. And he starts saying things like, shout louder. Maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's gone away on a little trip and he'll come back when he's ready. I'm not kidding. This is in the Bible. You should read this stuff. (laughs) And they keep screaming and nothing happens. And then the time comes for the evening sacrifice. And Elijah steps up and he's like, okay, my turn. Then he turns to some of the Israelites and says, bring some water. And they're like, I get it. You're thirsty. We're in a drought. We just have to ration this out. He goes, no. Pour it on the altar. Oh, but you need that lid on fire. He's like, yeah, that's right. Pour the water on the altar. So not only is he just a historic level flexor, he is taking the most precious resource they have 
and saying, let me tell you where all my eggs are. Not only are they in the basket of God in the terms that I am standing 900 to one and if I lose, I die. I believe that we can take our most precious resource right now and trust it into the hands of the living God and He will provide. And so He pours the water, well, He gets people to pour the water all over the, uh, the altar until it fills up a moat around it. And then He steps back and He says the prayer that I read earlier, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. I'm your servant and that at your word, I've done all these things. So answer me, Lord, answer me. This is important. So that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and you turn their hearts back. And he steps back to a reasonable distance, I assume, and fire bursts from heaven and the altar is consumed, including all the water surrounding it. It is a big moment. And after the dust settles and the prophets have been absolutely obliterated spiritually and, and physically. Elijah turns to the king and he says, you better get ready because it's about to rain. And then he goes to get down at his knees and he starts to pray. And he sends his servant seven times to see if there's a cloud coming. And on the seventh time, he says, there is a cloud the size of a man's hand off in the distance. Now, if you are in drought, that is not that encouraging really. And Elijah turns to the king and he says, you better get your chariot down the mountain now, otherwise the wheels are gonna get stuck in the mud. And he does, and that's exactly what happens. The rain pours down. There is the prayer and the offering. There is the fire and then there is the rain of God. This is the ultimate mountaintop moment. And Elijah comes down from here and is enthroned in Israelite history. And we all go, cool story cannot relate. (laughs) Here's why we tell the story. Because the news gets back to Queen Jezebel. And Jezebel hears about it and she says, may the Lord strike me down if I do not make Elijah dead like those other prophets by this time tomorrow. And then she basically express posts that message back via messenger, which always made me wonder, why not send an assassin? But hey, She sends that express post guy back to tell Elijah what's going on. And Elijah, who has just personally brought down all the false gods of Israel, one versus 900, runs. Runs for cover into the wilderness. In fact, he runs to a town to Beersheba. And then the same servant who with faith he had sent to look for the cloud, he says, stay here, I'm going into the wilderness. And he treks a day into the wilderness. And I imagine the servant going, yeah, my master, he's just preparing himself. And Elijah lies down under a tree, And he says, God, kill me. I want to die. I can't do this anymore. This is too much for me. And this is the bit where we go, I'm not sure I could relate to Elijah's first story, but I might be able to relate to the second one. And here's what happens. From that, an angel comes and ministers to him. But Elijah makes a smart decision first. He has a nap. He has a nap. And then an angel comes and ministers to him. Do you know what the angel does? He gives him some food. Can I tell you, and this, is such, this probably sounds like I'm joking. This is quite serious. There are some times when you are questioning the existence of God and you just need a little snack and a lie down. <laughs> you, you think, I, I, <laughs> I know you. Sometimes you're like, where is God? I'm like, where is lunch? Well, I, I think you just skipped a meal today. It's like, no, I didn't. Didn't you say you were fasting this week? Yeah, because I love God. It's like, oh, yeah, clearly, I'm, I'm hearing it in your voice. <laughs> There's an intimacy that hasn't been there before. 
Or sometimes you just don't get enough sleep and you're getting mad and you think the world is falling down, but honestly, you just need to go to sleep. And I say that in love and gentleness, maybe not that gentle, because I want you to get those barriers out of the way so that if you're going to come to God with questions about who he is and what he's doing in your life, at least it's on the right terms. At least you've got that stuff out of the way. You with me? Okay. So this is what happens to Elijah. He's praying to God he might die. 24 hours earlier, he was on top of the world. Now he's depressed. He has suicidal ideation. This is a very big turnaround. But it's very relatable. The angel returns after this, and he guides Elijah to a cave. And Elijah, even in his pain, is spiritually mature. He knows the voice of God. And he comes to the cave, and the angel says, just wait here. So he waits in the cave, and God's voice speaks. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, this is an important question. Do you think God wasn't sure? No, of course not. He knew what Elijah was doing there. He brought him there. But Elijah didn't know. Elijah was in this spiritual washing machine of highs and lows and the serotonin and the adrenaline have gone completely and he's just an emotional mess and he doesn't know. And God just says, wait here and I'll speak. And then he brings this great wind, but his voice wasn't in the wind. And then he brings this great earthquake, but there wasn't a voice in the earthquake. And then finally this fire comes and you think, oh, this is, this is the big one. No, no. His voice wasn't in the fire. And then finally, Elijah, the spiritually mature but emotionally broken man, hears the whisper of God once again, Elijah, what are you doing here? Church, let me ask you this question as we begin a fresh year. What are you doing here? What are you doing here in this building? What are you doing here in your walk with God? What are you doing here in your spirit? What are you choosing to cultivate in 2023 that will grow the inner man, the inner woman, the person who God is longing for you to be? Because the question that ends up ticking away in most of us for all our lives is this, what do you really want? What do you really want? The sociologist Simon Sinek would say this, oh, we can tell your desires by what you do. And so for us here at this church, Here's what I would say. I want you to want an intimacy with Jesus so much that what you do in your prayer life reflects it. I want to see a church contending with God wholeheartedly. Let me talk a little bit about what that means and then we're gonna close up. See, when God eventually comes to Elijah, he basically says this, I am with you. I have a purpose for you. Keep going. I've not abandoned you. I was with you on the mountain, I'm with you in the valley. Hear that again, church. God is with you in the mountain, he's with you in the valley. Do you know what's changed? Just your situation. You're the same person, God's the same God, but your situation is different. You cannot let the valley define you and you cannot let the mountain define you because most of your life is not spent on a mountain. Most of your life is not spent at camp. Most of your life is not spent on like the Sunday of, e- of Resurrection Sunday at Easter going, oh, God is alive. God's always alive. But we change. And part of the journey of contending in prayer is becoming mature in our spirits so that we can cultivate and steward the presence of God so that we can sense what God is doing and asking of us at all times. Now we might go, yeah, okay, that'll make me feel really good. That's great, but I don't care. I want you to do it because when you do it, you are unlocking the kingdom of heaven in a way that it begins to break out here on earth and that affects everyone else. 
The brokenness of this world needs followers of Jesus with humble hearts and a desperate cultivation of the presence of God in their lives. Humble in themselves, totally confident in who God is. That is the combination you need to flourish in 2023. And you can have it. It is all yours. You might be saying to yourself, yeah, but Mike, I can't be like Elijah. It's like, no, that's right. Because Elijah didn't, wasn't filled with the Spirit of God at all times like you and I can be. You have more than Elijah had. In fact, Jesus was so convinced of the Spirit of God's need in our lives. They said, you know what? I'm gonna die to give you eternal life and re- be resurrected to seal the deal. But I'm ascending to the right hand of God the Father to get out of the way so the Holy Spirit can be in you. Because you need that. It is Jesus that gives you eternal life, but it's having the Spirit in you that makes that life worth living. It's having that Spirit in you and cultivating that in you that is gonna change the world, not your best efforts. We don't contend in work so much as we contend in prayer. Two practical ways you can do that. And then let's get a little Spiro. The first way you can do that is we have a prayer meeting here at Encounter. 15 minutes every weekday on Zoom. Most people don't even turn their video on. I assume they're like fully oodied up. And it is 15 minutes led by Jonathan and our prayer team and Margie who's hosting. And all they do is just pray and pray what they've got. Most people are doing that croaky voice early morning thing. Like, God, I'm just, you know, you know. But they're praying what they've got. This is an opportunity for you. It's easy. Just log on via Instagram, via our link tree. You don't need to turn the video on. You don't even need to speak. But it is a way of building prayer into your life. 15 minutes every weekday, 7 o'clock to 7.15. Here's the second thing. We've got a little book club at Encounter, which is adorable. And Tim and Ash Littleford run that. And uh, the next book they're going to be reading is Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Stadden. He's from Bridgetown Church. Some of you will be familiar with Bridgetown and the work of John Mark Comer through there. We're big fans of Bridgetown Church. I want to encourage you. Come and talk to Tim. There he is in the orange hat. He's putting his hand up. He's tall, so it's quite easy to see his hand. Come chat to Tim and get connected. It might just be that you're like, you know what? I like reading. I'd like to do a book club because why do we do a book club? Here's why. As you read through about prayer with a group of people, you learn more about it. You get more perspectives about it. You're held accountable about it and you practice some of those things together. That's why two really simple ways. You decide what's going to work for you. I do not care what you do with it. It's, It's the action itself I want for you. I don't want it for me. I want it for you. In 2023, I got to tell you, this is what I want for me. As, as I come up and I start this, this sermon with a, a statement that I believe that every Sunday can be the best day of your life. It can be a transformative experience in the Holy Spirit. What I want is a church full of people who are hungry for that. Because most of us, do you want the truth, friends? <laughs> Nobody said yes. I'm going to tell you anyway. You know that. Most of us live Christian lives full of mediocrity. We have a mediocre spirituality because in our lives, what we believe and what we do do not line up. The Simon Sinek thing, it's not there. Like, yeah, 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 I believe that God is the God of all miracles. Oh, how many miracles have you seen? Oh, well, none, obviously. What do you mean, obviously? Oh, uh, uh, how do I hold those two together? What you do when you contend in prayer is you steward something in your spirit. You grow and nurture something in your spirit that begins to transform you over time to become the sort of warrior that transforms the world. So the two things I said before, 
joining our prayer meeting, joining a book club. They'll grow you slowly in prayer over time. But our missional goal is not called grow slowly in prayer over time. It's called contending in prayer because we want to steward spirits inside each and every one of you to be warriors. And I get it. It's warm. It's January. You're on holidays. You're like, ah, oh, couldn't we more steward a spirit of uh, rest? Couldn't you preach on Sabbath this week or something? Like, nah, because Sabbath's, Sabbath's a different kind of work you're going to put in place anyway. You, you're not ready for Sabbath. We'll get to that some other time. But contending in prayer, church, that is going to get you to the life you really want in the spirit. And if you don't do it, I will tell you what will happen. You will become spiritually dry. You will become tired and probably angry with God. The the sort of best case scenario is you just kind of ritualistically do all the Christian things without any vibrancy to it. And the worst version is you get furious because you can tell as you read this book, there is a life that is meant to be available to you, but for some strange reason is not alive in you. But if you set yourself to contend in prayer, something will begin to happen. Because there are mountains and there are valleys, but there is a road lived in between that we need to steward. That is where we do the work. You don't do the work in the mountains or the valleys. That's where you learn the lessons. You praise in the mountains. You cry out in the valleys. You know what we mostly do in the middle? Nothing. That's why we put practices in place to help us contend in prayer. So last thing. I believe God is calling everyone in this room to be a spiritual giant. Normal is not the enemy of good, right? You need normal spiritual practices. Praying regularly, that's normal. But God is not just calling you to a life of normal. He is calling you to be a spiritual giant. Why can't you be the next John Wesley? Why can't you be the next Mother Teresa, Christine Kane? Why? What's stopping you? Your heart, your spirit what you're contending for, what you're striving. And let me tell you, when I say a spiritual giant, when we access the power of God, you're not doing it like you're Thanos or Emperor Palpatine. You are doing it not to get power, absolute power for yourself, but for others. You steward it to transform the world because when you do that, here's what happens. Spirit-filled Christians go out and reconstruct the world in the image of God through the whisperings and obediences of God in order to make the whole world a better place and declare to, to the world that is watching that God is not only real, He is loving, He is present, He is intervening, He is longing to do a work. That is what we steward in our spirits. You will go through the valleys. And by the grace of God, you will reach the mountaintop. And when you are there, what you do in the middle will determine how you respond. So what's it gonna be? Do we wanna live lives of this medium-paced spiritual mediocrity where we slowly dry ourselves out? Or do we actually want to cultivate inside of us a flame that burns so bright that it begins to light something up for the whole world? That's your choice in 2023. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.